had to stop going to school when he was 10 years old because his family couldn't afford to keep on sending him. But Benjamin Franklin persisted in his learning. He invented things such as the lightning rod and bifocal glasses, among other things. And he became one of the fathers of this great nation. There was another guy who tried and tried and tried again. And each time he failed. Depending on who you look to or where you read, he failed anywhere between 1,000 to 10,000 times. But ultimately, Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, and it has revolutionized our lives. 27 of his books were rejected. One publisher labeled them pure rubbish. But Theodore Giesel persisted. And finally, his first children's book was published, and it was an instant success. You see, Dr. Seuss was born. And his first business failed miserably. When demonstrating a product, he couldn't even get that product to work that he had worked on so much. But Bill Gates persisted, and his name and Microsoft are household words today. Have you ever felt like you were in over your head? Come on. Anybody? Yes, no, amen, whatever, okay? Unqualified to do a job. Or told that you were never really able to do much. Maybe it was people that said that, or maybe it was you who decided it at some point or another. And as a result of that, you settled for a less than ordinary life because you started to believe that you were unqualified. You might be able to do something, but someone else can always do it better. You used to be able to accomplish great things, but something happened, and now you can't even think of trying again, or maybe you won't. We're in a series of messages called The Big Butts of the Bible. Pretty interesting title, isn't it? I heard that uh, the speaker for the ladies' conference came by and she saw the sign, message, message series, Big Butts of the Bible, How Big is Yours? And she took a picture of it. She laughed. She was involved, she's involved in Polish ministries and she sent it on Facebook to other people. And before the day, the morning was over with, she had gotten over 80 responses or likes or laughters or comments from people all over the world, folks. Uh, But that's exactly what we face. Back in the 90s, there was a guy that liked them and he could not lie. And yet the butts that we're talking about... And yet, and yet the butts that we're talking about, seriously, are not those kind. They're far different. They're ones that seem insurmountable. Ones that make us say, but you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what's going on in my life. And yet my God and your God is bigger than any butt we place in front of him. And last week we saw that through the life of Joseph. And we found out that through his example that our butt may be deep, deep hurts within relationships by someone close to us. 
And yet God can help us through that. And he can allow for healing to flow through humility, through trust and forgiveness. But another but that we struggle with is that one of feeling unqualified. Totally unqualified. And granted, there are some people who, who fail to reach or to live up to their potential simply because they're unwilling to put forth the effort. I get that. But far too many of us in this room, and even in society in general, operate from a perspective that they really don't have that much to offer. I mean, look at all the people who are successful. Look at what they have. Look at what they can do. I don't have much to offer. And if we don't have much to offer, how in the world can we be used to make a difference by God? And as I said before, it could be that somebody just through some comments, through some attitudes, just drilled that into us. Or it could be circumstances or personal mindsets have been such that we couldn't even think of ourselves as being able to do much for God and make a real difference for him. Someone who seemed to wrestle with that was a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Moses. You know, Charlton Heston, you know. I wanted to bring a, uh, a, a walking stick, kind of like a shepherd's rod, to kind of imitate him, and I forgot it, and then I didn't want you guys to think that I was crippled because of walking yesterday, so I just left it at home, but primarily I forgot it. He was miraculously spared from mass infanticide that had taken place in the land of Egypt. And then he was adopted by the daughter of the king that had decreed that that infanticide was supposed to take. He grew up enjoying the finer things that royalty has to offer in the land of Egypt. And yet he maintained deep roots through his mom who nursed him and brought him, brought him up. And he maintained deep roots in understanding that he was a Jew, that he was a Hebrew, and he was part of the slaves that were in Egypt. And one time, the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 2 that Moses saw an Egyptian beating up a Hebrew. And he looked around to check and make sure that nobody was watching. And he assaulted the Egyptian and he killed him. And as a result of that, he had to run away. He had to flee the land of Egypt and go into the land of Midian, which is now known as Saudi Arabia. And he settled there for 40 years. And he married. He had a family. And he shepherded flocks of sheep. In the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapters 1 and 2 tell that story in further detail, but we want to camp out in Exodus chapters 3 and 4 a little bit and see something that took place in his life. Because one day while he was going about his business and not even thinking about what he needed to do, he was just going through the motions and all of a sudden he looked up and he was he was parked near the, the, the mountain of God, Mount Horeb, and, and he saw something. He saw a bush on fire. Only thing was that the bush wasn't burning. Now that's a pretty interesting sight. And so he left his sheep down at the bottom of the, of the, of the mountain. They climbed up there to see what this event was all about. 
And God spoke to him there. And in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, we read, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the land, from the land, hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And if you're looking in your Bibles, go ahead and underline that line that says, I am sending you. God was going to free his people. But he was going to use Moses to make it possible. And let me tell you, folks, Moses definitely felt unqualified. And the first way he identified that he felt unqualified was that he, first of all, said, Who am I? Who am I to go and do this? And that's found in verse 11. What difference can I make, he was asking. Going back to Egypt probably meant very unpleasant memories for Moses. He probably had to deal with the fear of, am I going to you know, have the statute of limitations run out on my murder? Uh, you know, what, what, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to end up in prison or something like that? In addition, Moses had lived in the land of Midian for 40 years. 40 years. How many of you have lived in Mechanicsville for 40 years? Okay. How many of you would be willing to move to Omaha, Nebraska? Just like that. Any show of hands? Chip in. No, no, I'm just kidding. Okay. But he had got... He, and the reason you struggle with that is because you're comfortable. You have, you have a home. You've got roots, don't you? And you're really okay with that. And Moses was living a life that was predictable, that was safe. And when we find ourselves being challenged by God to do something, we tend to not want to leave what we have either. We don't think that we can make a difference and wonder why God would consider using us. We tend to dismiss that calling. We tend to dismiss that prompting, that invitation that he offers us to make a difference and to impact the cause of his kingdom in a way that honors him. Now, the good news is that Moses did what God called him to do eventually. He went through these phases that we're going to look at, but eventually he went into action in spite of feeling inadequate and unqualified. And his story, the end of the story, the one that most people knew about, is found in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 28, where he's identified as being a man of faith. 
And it says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded the disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. And so Moses started out by saying, well, who am I to do this? But then he turned around and he looked at God and he said, well, who are you? Who are you? Verse 13 says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And there comes a time in our lives, folks, when all of us have probably asked that question, haven't we? Who is God? God, who are you really? At the leadership conference in Savannah that we attended in February, one of the main, main speakers, Jerry Harris, told about driving from Illinois to North Carolina to pick up uh, some kind of auto part. I don't remember exactly what it was. He deals with classic autos. And it turned out that the guy that he went to see and to buy this thing from was a prominent professor and lecturer at several universities in the area. And he was head of different departments. He was very, had a pres prestigious home. He had prestigious titles. And he was also an agnostic. And yet this guy was so hospitable and he welcomed Jerry. You know how Southern hospitality is, folks. It's, it's kind of, uh, it, it's, it's beyond compare in many ways. And Jerry was privileged to stay in this man's home. And they started talking about God after supper. And the professor knew that Jerry was a pastor and he said, Jerry, tell me, how can I know that God exists? And he said that he remembers sitting in that large, large library room with thousands and thousands and thousands of vo volumes covering the, the walls and hearing this guy talk. And he said, thought to himself, you know, I can't talk to him about the evidences because he knows that. I can't talk to him about the objections because he knows that. He's going to be able to refute anything that I ever have to say. And in a moment of brilliance and where he was praying for God's spirit to speak through him, Jerry just simply said something that caught this man off guard. And he said, sir, you can't know God unless you experience him. And folks, there is so much truth to that. There are a lot of people who claim to know about God. There are so few people who know him. And I ask myself and I ask you, which ones are we? And when God responds to Moses' question, he says, I am that I am in verse 14. You tell them that I'm that. 
And, and the term that is used is the one that we looked at in previous message series, that it's, and we referred to this one as Yahweh, that's, or Jehovah, that's the anglicized version of it. And it defines God as a relational God. One who has been, who is, and always will be, but he is for us, he is not against us. And you can know a lot about God, but if you want Him to use you, even when you feel most unqualified, you have to experience who He really is. Have we? Someone has said that God rarely calls the qualified, but He qualifies the called. And He does that with His forgiveness and with His guidance. You see, Moses and all the other main characters throughout Scripture, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, they had some dark past. They had some clouds over their head. They had some skeletons in their closet. But God transformed them and used them in a mighty way. Someone has wisely said that God rarely chooses people from the ranks of the unscarred. And he always works through those who need him most so that they can most clearly point to him. And God also qualifies those he calls with his presence, with his relationship, with his empowerment, with his words, with his courage, with his peace. And the result was that for 40 years, 40 years after being called, for 40 years after that moment on that mountain, Moses led a people who were nothing more than just a band of disorganized slaves and molded them into a mighty nation ready to do great things for the Lord. Moses' third excuse was, what if they don't believe me? What if I'm not credible enough? Or maybe translated better, it might be, Will people like me? Will people like me? Will they accept me? That's what we do, don't we? Because most of us want to be liked, don't we? We want to be accepted. We look for the approval of others. But so many times we try to win that approval through our efforts rather than focusing on God working through us and in us. And the Lord told Moses very simply when he asked that question, what do you have in your hand? This is where I would go ahead and refer to the, to the walking stick. And he said, I got a shepherd's staff. And he said, throw it to the ground. And that shepherd's staff turned into a huge, huge snake. And Moses was so afraid of it that he jumped back. And then God told him, I want you to pick it up by the tail. And as soon as he picked it up by the tail, it became a rod again. And then he was told to go ahead and take his hand and put it inside his cloak. And he did. And when he pulled it out, it was as white as snow covered with leprosy. And then God told him to put it back in again. And Once again, it came back to normal. 
And through these miracles, God reassured Moses that he would never, ever be alone. God would be with him as he faced the most powerful ruler of the world at that time. And he's with us, too. Especially when we face those big but moments. Those moments when we say, but God, I can't do this. And he has confidently and repeatedly said in passages such as Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Excuse number four for Moses was, but I don't speak so good. And that's found in chapter 4 verse 10. Look at all my inadequacies and look at all my failures. Does anyone here have those? We all do. And yet we tend to hide behind those things. And we talk about how big those things are all the while failing to see how God is so much bigger than those, that they are just but a speck of sand in his eyes. And all he needs to do is just look at it, and it moves. Public speaking is the number one fear of most people. Surveys say that many fear it even more than death. (laughs) And Moses, I think, fell in that category as well. And yet God provided exactly what Moses needed, and he can do the same for us. Last night at the, um, at the student found, Christian Student Foundation uh, ministry that Josh Smith oversees, uh, we, we had a fundraising banquet that we were able to attend. And uh, I saw one young man get up one that I've known for several years. When I first met him, he could barely put together much more than two words. I mean, he was just very shy, very backward. Uh, And yet, last night, he stood and he spoke with confidence. And he spoke clearly and with conviction. And I was just amazed at what God had done through him and was doing in him. Final excuse. Lord, please send someone else. Translation. You know, this is really, really biblical translation from the Hebrew, okay? I really don't want to. I really don't want to. And folks, these are words we need to be very, very careful of. Because nothing frustrates and angers God more than when we put our wants and desires over his. Moses had his butts, but God had some even greater butts and told Moses to get off his. 
And there are probably some of us here in this room that need to do just that. We're comfortable, but we know that God wants more from us so that He can do so much more through us. You see, Moses stood in the presence of God Almighty. He saw a visible manifestation of Him. So much so that in chapter 3, verse 5, God said to him, Take off your sandals, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. And he wasn't referring to the fact that that ground was holier than others, but he was referring to the fact that God's presence, God's very presence was there, and that's what made that ground holy. Do we see him like that? Do we honor him that way? You see, folks, today we're gathered to praise and honor and worship God. And he has said that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So what that means is, what that really, really means is, is that this place is holy. And I just want to ask you to do something. If you would. Take off your shoes wherever you're standing or sitting. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. And it's there that we are confronted with our own unholiness, with our own sinfulness, with our own unworthiness, and how much we need Him, how much we need His forgiveness. How much we need his love and his grace. I, I, I need to tell you, I was so inspired by the singing today. I mean, I heard you more than I heard the praise team. And I thought that was just incredibly awesome. And I know that the praise team felt that way. They were energized by what it was that you were offering to God. But I want you to understand something, folks. I want you to get this. Don't, don't just say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then come in the next week and think that this is the way it's supposed to be again. And what am I going to get out of it and all that kind of stuff. What goes on up here is not a performance by a musical team. Nor is it a performance by a single person proclaiming God's truth, whether it be me or Will or anybody else. This is a time when we come together before the living God of all creation, the one whom we have such a hard time describing and comprehending and recognizing that he is here because he has a passionate, passionate love for us. And our praise team didn't sing for you. They sang for him. I'm not preaching just to go ahead and impress you guys. I am preaching for him. I'm preaching for an audience of one. And that's why I take off my shoes. That's why you should too. Because as you are receiving, as you are processing, as you, you're, you're hearing from God, not from me. There are some things that God is speaking into your life right now. 
and it's not from me. And in the very presence of God, this is the other thing that was so amazing. God, Moses had the gall to argue with him. He was God. And in all of his holiness, making himself known to Moses. And yet the man argued with God and came up with excuses. And it's easy to condemn Moses for that until we stop and think, wait a minute, I do that too. Far too often. And this isn't the only place where we're faced with God's gripping holiness. We come into his holy presence, not only in our worship services, but every time we open the book called the Bible, which is God's words to us, isn't it? And yet, I fear that far too many of us can very easily, and, 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 and please understand, I'm preaching confessionally here because I think preachers can do it probably more so than others. That we reach a point in life where we treat God's word too casually instead of realizing and recognizing that the Lord of creation is speaking to us. And yeah, he's speaking to us through a book. And as we read these passages of Scripture on and off, we find ourselves thinking, God, did you really mean that I need to make that lifestyle adjustment? Lord, did you really mean that I need to talk to that person about you? What if they reject me? God, if you're really, are you really who you say you are? Is my faith in you just taught or is it heartfelt? God, I didn't go to Bible college. I don't know that I can speak very well. Besides, if people only knew my past, Lord, I just don't want to. And here's the truth. God will simply lead us if we let him. But he never says that it's going to be easy or smooth. But it will be one of the most joyous journeys you ever experience. As a matter of fact, you may go through moments of fright. You will have your stomach in your throat. Just like a roller coaster. and Just like the picture that you're going to see on the screen. And we come up with our butts, but we have a but God kind of God. Saw that on Facebook. Jennifer Windhausen posted it, and I thought, oh boy, I got to use that. God's got this, and He's with us, and He will use us, even if we feel unqualified. As a matter of fact, the more unqualified you feel, the more God can use you. He uses hum humble and not prideful people, He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so just like Moses, who had a shepherd's staff, I ask you, what do you hold in your hand? Moses had a staff that God turned into a snake. And the staff parted, the, the, the staff parted seas, and it brought forth water for people. And through Moses' uh, example and his leadership, God freed millions of people from slavery and forged them into a mighty nation from which Jesus would come. And we owe everything to Jesus. 
And He is able to do abundantly above all that we ask or imagine according to His great power that is at work within us. And that's why Paul says, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, both now and forever. Amen. And today, I want to urge you, I want to challenge you, because God is calling you. Maybe not through a burning bush, but through his burning love for you and the prodding of his Holy Spirit in your life. And your heart may be busy, it may be troubled, it may be broken, it may be confused, it may be comfortable, it may be distracted, it may be selfish, it may even be hard. And yet God is calling you. He's calling me. Because he knows us. And he knows what we can do and what he can do through us and in us. And whatever your heart condition is, the Lord Jesus is calling you. And he's saying very simply, follow me. Will you? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Some of us in this room have sensed your calling multiple times. And yet we've come up with excuses, just like Moses did. Maybe it's to respond to you for the very first time. Maybe it's to enter into a new chapter of service in our lives. Maybe it's something even far more dramatic than that. I don't know what it is. But you have been calling every single one of us to make, not make a difference on our own, but to allow you to make a difference through us. Holy Spirit, please speak to hearts just now. Speak to us. Move us to action. Not just a feeling, but a faith that moves us to action so that we will never, ever be satisfied unless we do what you ask. And for some of us, that may mean trusting in you and trusting in Jesus to save us from our sins for the very first time. And if that's the case, Lord, I pray that that will happen now, today, with no reservation. I pray in Jesus' name.